I told you guys that December of 2012 to July of 2014 was the darkest time in my life. And around the time that started, so around December of 2012, I began to experience what I would call anxiety attacks. And, and what I mean by that is it, it wasn't so much of a medical thing, but, but mentally I would just break. I would just snap. Everything that was going on in my, in my head and in my heart because of what was going on around me, my, my mind and my brain, I just couldn't take it. And so mentally I would just snap. I would break. And when that happened, I would do, I guess what, what I would call as my own version of retail therapy. And now, now when I say retail therapy, retail therapy, you go, you go what? You go shopping. Yeah, you go shopping, right? And the reason I call it my own version of retail therapy is, is this. I would, well, let me tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't buy anything. Okay. I wouldn't buy anything. I would go to the closest mall to my house, so at that time I guess it was North Point Mall, and I would just walk. I'd walk. I'd walk through every store, and I'd walk around the food court, and I would just walk until the pressure in my head and in my heart began to go down, and I could deal with life again. And I was doing this around Easter of 2014, and this is how I know it was Easter, okay? This is how I know it was Easter. I was walking through the mall, and you know how a lot of malls, they have their two stories, right? Like you can walk on the top floor, and you can look down onto the first floor and see what's going on. I was walking through the mall, and I heard this baby just screaming, crying. And I thought, what in the world is that? And so, so I began to follow the screaming and just follow this crying. And eventually, I got to the balcony of the second floor and looked down onto the first floor. And here's how the mall, here's how they did... Easter pictures. They had this man who would dress as this, as, as literally this giant rabbit, just this giant rabbit. And he would hold the baby and the family would take pictures of that. And so that's what was going on. This, this man was holding this baby and the family was taking pictures and this poor baby was just looking up, just terrified, you know, and just screaming. And, and as I was going through what I was going through in my life, I remember thinking this. As I was going through everything that I was going through, I looked down at that baby and I thought, that, that baby, he, he has no idea where he is. He has no idea why he's there. And he's trying everything he can to get out of that situation, and he just can't. And since he's tried everything to get out and he can't, there's nothing left to do but scream and cry. And I thought, I get that. I get that. This is our last week of our series of Where is God in the Dark? Where is God in Suffering? And the first week we learned that God is with us in our suffering, and He knows our suffering even better than we do. And we use Psalm 139 to, to explain that and to explore that. And then last week we learned that no matter where God is in our pain, He is achieving the promises that He made to us on the cross. And so this is our final week, and I'm supposed to give you the final answer. So here it is. Where is God when it's dark? 
I don't know. I don't know. I know that He is with me in my suffering and that He knows my suffering and I know that wherever He is, He is achieving the the promises that He made for me on the cross and I'm thankful for that. But there are days where I look up and I say, I just, I, I don't know. And I see on, on TV and on YouTube all the time all these incredible testimonies of people who are suffering and going through so much pain and, and God met them either in their prayer time or at church and, and He just rescued them from it and it's awesome. But there are days where I don't see Him or, or feel Him at all. And I feel like I've, I've failed you guys sometimes, or that I'm failing you guys sometimes, because, because I, as one of your pastors, I'm supposed to be able to answer your questions. I'm supposed to have the answers, but, but I don't want to make something up. Because, you see, here's, what's, here's what happens when I, when I make something up is, let's say, you know, you have a problem. You're going through a problem, and so you come to me, and, and you say, Ryan, this is my problem, and I, and I don't know the answer, and I just make something up. Well, then you leave and you say, man, Ryan, Ryan has all the answers. He must, be, he must be such a good Christian because he can answer everything. And I, I, I don't know the answer to everything, so I must not be, I must not be doing a good job. I must, maybe I'm not even a Christian. What if I'm not? And you begin to attack yourself over and over and over again because I had to go make something up. Guys, it's okay to say, I don't know, sometimes. When you're witnessing to your friends and they've asked you something and you, and you, don't, you don't know the answer, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. Because sometimes when you make up an answer, you can do a lot more harm than good. And I've had to learn that through a lot of painful mistakes. Where is God when it's dark? I, a lot of times, I don't know. I don't know. But let me tell you some things that I do know, okay? I got about five of them for you, so let me tell you some things that I do know, okay? Here's number one. One of my mentors is a guy named David McNeely, and, and he's, a, he's a pastor at a church in Atlanta called Perimeter Church, and one time David was telling us about his wife's relationship to God, Okay, his wife's relationship with God. And this is what he told us. He said, this is what it's like for my wife and God. It's like she's in a dark room and she can't see God and she she can't hear him very well. But the room has a door and that door is cracked just, just a little bit, just a sliver. And light is shining just through that crack. And that's how she knows that God is there. Just through a sliver in the door with light peeking through. And I thought, I get that. You see, I feel like a failure sometimes because as a pastor, you know, my my relationship to God should be much better than that. It should be better than that. I should be able to see God and feel God Everywhere I go. And some days it's like that. But most of the time it's, it's dark and I can't see him. And I can't hear his voice and I don't know what to do. But I think 
because of that, because of what I just said, I think that is why I'm actually okay at this pastor thing. I think that's why I'm actually okay at it. Let me explain. You see, you see, if I could hear God's voice all the time, I would look to those who, who can't hear His voice, who have dark days. I would look at them and I would say, just listen harder. Just listen harder. That's what I do. And I hear His voice fine. And I hear His voice all the time. Just listen harder like I do. I would have no sympathy for those people. But you see, by leaving me in the dark, God has given me a special spot for other people like me. Other people who can't hear His voice and who have dark days. See, by leaving me in the dark, God has given me a special spot for people like me. And I'm able to come and sit with those people and say, I know. I know how bad it is when you can't hear Him. So I'm going to sit with you and and I won't get up until we can both hear His voice. You see, by leaving me in the dark, God has given me a special spot for people like me. Others who struggle to find the light. You see, through my darkness, I can help other people find their way out of theirs. God God knows how arrogant I really am and how bad at this job I would be if I could hear His voice all the time. So you see, He really is a good God. He really does know exactly what His kid needs. He really knows what I need. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. I know I said that I don't know where God is sometimes, and and I don't know why He does what He does, but can I tell you a secret? Knowing why won't help like you think it will. It won't. You guys are a great bunch in that, in that you always want to know why. Why does the Bible say it like this? Why, is, why does God do it like this? And that's fine. Listen to me. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop asking why. Just know that you're never going to know the why to it all. You're never going to know the why to it all. And that's okay. Because why is not what you're really after. Why is not what you're really after. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, let's say your best friend or the person that you value the most in this world. Let's say that they move to California. Okay, They move to California and they're not coming back. And so they leave and it hurts, right? I mean, it really cuts you and it hurts. And so I come to you and I say, all right, here's why your friend moved. They moved because their parents got better jobs, so they'll make more money. 
And, and your friend now will be able to live in a better house, in a better neighborhood. They'll be able to go to a better school. And at this school, oh, at this school, they're going to learn so many things that will help them so much later on in life. And they're going to make so many friends at this school. And they're going to be so happy. That's the why. That's why your friend has moved. That's all the why as to why your friend has moved. You feel any better? Maybe a little, but not as much as you thought. Because you don't, you see, deep down, you, you're not really after the why. You don't want to know why they left. Really, you just, you just want your friend back. And that's okay, but you see, the why doesn't help like you think it will. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named Steve Brown. And, and Steve used to be the pastor of a congregation, a very small church. I think it was in Florida. And, and he tells this story about how a woman in his congregation, her husband and her son got cancer at the same time. At the same time. And it was bad for both of them. And so Steve went to visit her at her house one morning, and, and she came out to greet him, and she was smiling. And he had he'd known her long enough to where he could ask her this, okay? He, he said, Marie, how can you smile? How can you be smiling at a time like this? And she said, Steve, I was up all night yelling and screaming at God. And Steve said, well, I, I get that. And she said, and then at 4.30 in the morning, I turned on the coffee pot, sat down at the kitchen table, and I said, okay, God, I'm done. It's your turn. And Steve said, well, what did he say? And she said, nothing. He didn't, and Steve said, what do, you, what do you mean? He didn't say anything? She said, he didn't say anything. He just held me instead. He didn't say anything. He just held me instead. And Steve, that was more than enough. You see, God puts us through really hard things, and, and most of the time He doesn't tell us why. And we think that's because He's so cruel. But you see, in reality, it's not because He's cruel. You see, God just knows that knowing why won't help like you think it will. Remember Psalm 139. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And you got to trust that. Will you please, will you trust that? He knows what you need. He knows you. That's the second thing. Here, here's number three. If, if being in the dark has taught me anything, it's this. Tears and listening help so much. Tears and listening help so much. Let's do, let's do listening first. And, and Bob, has, Bob has heard the story I'm about to tell you probably six times. So Bob, just one more time. 
Let me just tell, let me just tell it one more time, and I promise you won't hear it at least for the rest of this evening, okay? At least for the rest of the night. So back in January, Bob, myself, and, and Mac and Eric, we went to a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, um, Florida. And, and at the conference, they had several different breakout sessions. And one of the sessions was called Pastor Help, My Son is Gay. And it was about, as a pastor, you know, if a family is to come to you and they say, we think one of our children is, is, is gay or maybe experiencing same-sex attraction. What, what do we do? It's about, what do you say to them? And, you know, I'm, I'm 25. This has never happened to me before. And so I'm thinking, what, what would I do, you know? What would I say? And the guy who led the session, was a, he was a Christian psychologist, and this is, what he, this is what he said. And it has totally changed the way I do ministry. Totally changed it. He said this. He said, Joy is multiplied. Grief is divided. Joy is multiplied. Grief is divided. And, and here's what he means. Joy is multiplied. If I, if I told you, and if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were going to make a game-winning shot in a basketball game next week, no matter how good at basketball you are or how bad you are or how awkward you are, no matter how you put it up, it's going in. Period. And there's nothing you can do about it. If you knew you were going to make the game-winning shot in that game, would you, want, would you want that gym empty when you did that? No. No, you'd want, that, you'd want that building full of your friends and your family and the weird kids. And, and you want it full of all kinds of people. And when you make that shot, you just feel, I mean, your joy level, your joy goes up to 100, and it stays there, and you're celebrating, and you're running around, and your team's tackling you. If somebody else sees your joy, are they going to have to borrow some of your joy so that they can feel happy? No. You're at 100% joy. They're at 100% joy. Someone else comes, and they see all, all the stuff that's going on, and they get excited, so now they're at 100% joy, and then someone else comes, and it just keeps building. You see, you see how that joy is multiplying? Nobody has to borrow from anybody. Joy is multiplied. Grief doesn't work like that. Have you ever noticed how if you're going through something bad and, and, you, and you're really down about it and so you go talk to your friend about it and they don't, maybe they don't really give you any sage advice or any wisdom, but you, you walk away from that conversation feeling a little bit better. You do. You just, you can't help it. You just feel, you may not be back to 100%, but you feel better and you can't help it. That's because grief divides While you're with that friend, they have taken 50% of that load off of you and put it on them. And then you notice you go and tell more people and you feel a little bit better. Now two more people come and so now everybody only has to share 25% of the load when they're together. You see, grief divides That's why it's so important, and and that's why you go to conferences and they say that community is so important for families that are going through loss. They tell us that at the pastor's conference. Community is so important for those who go through loss because anytime they're with somebody, they only have to now bear 50% of the burden. And, And the guy told us this, and he said, Pastor, you may not know what to say. You may not have advice for them. 
But just by letting them walk through your door and listening, you've helped. Because you've taken some of the load off of them by listening. And now they only have to bear 50% of the burden when they're with you. Joy is multiplied. Grief is divided. Totally changed the way I do ministry. That's listening. Now tears. Another Steve Brown story. Um, Steve used to be a professor at a place called Reform Theological Seminary in Orlando. I go to, I go to RTS Atlanta. Steve used to teach in Orlando. And in the Orlando branch, they actually had, at this time, a therapist on call. Because, because being a pastor is really hard, and sometimes you need somebody to talk to. And they had a guy on, on call there, a therapist by the name of Dr. Copeland. Everybody called him Doc Copeland. And Steve had a student at the time who was going through a really rough patch, just an awful time. And everybody was coming up to him and giving him advice and scripture and saying, you know, we're praying for you and here's what you should do. And, and none of it was helping. And so Steve finally said, look, just go, go see Copeland. Go see Doc Copeland and see what, see what he can do. And the kid went to Dr. Copeland one time for one session and came out, and he was doing so much better. I mean, just total 180, complete facelift. And, and Steve went to the, the student, and he said, what, what did Copeland say to you? I mean, I mean, it must have been profound. And the student said, he, he didn't say anything. And Steve said, what do you mean he didn't say anything? And, and the student said, well, I was, I was telling him my story, and I was opening up to Doc Copeland, and and it was really hard, and it hurt a lot, and, and it was very painful. And I, I didn't want to tell him, but I did it anyway. And it just, Steve, it hurt so much. And, and after I was done with my story, I looked up, and, and Doc Copeland was crying. And, and in his tears, I realized that that's what it was like to really be listened to. And that's what it really felt like to, to be loved. And in his tears, I found a reason to, to, to keep on keeping on. And now, now I'm not telling you guys that, you know, the next, time, the next time your friend's going through something bad, you need to figure out a way to, like, you know, to make yourself cry, right? Like, like listen, to, listen to a bunch of violin on the way to their house. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying listen to them. The Bible says, the Bible says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. What, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean? It's, not, it's not just up here. It's not a mental thing. It's a heart issue as well. It's saying, feel what they feel. Listen to them. Put your heart where there is, where theirs is. Put your heart with them. And if you can't feel what they feel, you know, that's okay. The point is to listen. Don't the jury is still out on this. I'm not, I'm not, I almost want to say that listening is better than giving advice. Don't be in a rush to shell out advice too quick. There's a time for that. But listen to them. It helps. It does a deeper work than anything I'll do up here, I think. It does a much deeper work than that. That's number three. Two more and then we're out of here. Here's number four. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. 
listen to what I'm about to tell you. This, this story totally changed my life and how I view suffering. Thousands of years ago, there was a woman who lived in China. And every day, she would take two buckets and go down to the river and fill up the buckets with water and turn around and walk back with them with the water now that she needed to start her day. And so the way it worked was she would take a stick and put it across her shoulders and put a bucket on either end of the stick and she'd go down to the river and she'd lower the buckets in the river and then she'd turn around and come back with them on the stick across her shoulders. But one of the buckets had a big hole in it. And so every single morning when she'd go out, she would dip the bucket in the water and turn around and so up the left side of the path where the bucket was coming back with water in it, it would leak water everywhere. And there would, only, there would only be about a third of the water left in the bucket that when it started with. And she walked up and down the path with this bucket for years. For years this went on. And the bucket would just leak water everywhere and there was nothing it could do. And so finally, after years of this, the bucket looked to the woman and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I can't do what you've asked me to do. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard and I, I cannot do what you're asking me. Why won't you fix this? Why won't you fix me? And the woman said, no, 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 no. And she lifted up the bucket and she took it outside and she showed it. And, and she showed it the path that the bucket that was fixed, the bucket that held all its water. She showed it that path where no water had leaked and it was just dry dust. And then she showed the bucket the path that it had been on where all the water had spilled out for years. And the path was lined with thousands of flowers. And she said, Look at what has happened. Look at the beauty that has come because of your imperfection. Look at the beauty that has come because of what I did not fix. God puts us through so many hard things and the first thing we want to ask Him is, Fix it! Fix it, God! Why won't you fix it? Guys, sometimes his plan is not to fix it at all. Or maybe it is to fix it, but just, just not yet. Well, why? Why not yet? Because there are still flowers that need to grow up because of your pain. Because of the hole in your life. There are still flowers that need to be planted. That's the fourth thing. And here, here's the last one. And this is the most important one. The cross is the greatest example of darkness and light ever. The cross is the greatest example of darkness and light. And let me explain to you why. You remember last week we talked about what Christ said to his father on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? So you know what Christ said to God. Do you know what God said back? You know what he said back to his son? 
Nothing. He didn't say anything to his son. Not a word. Just like in our lives sometimes. But why? Why didn't he say anything to him? Where was he? Where was God? Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, and we'll see. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. Where was God while Christ was suffering on the cross and calling out for help? This is what 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says. That is, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. One more time. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So, so where was God? God was in the Son, reconciling us to Himself, bringing us to Himself, rescuing us, not counting our trespasses against us, not counting our sins against us, but in the Son, bringing us to Himself. Did you hear what I just said? While God was silent, He was in the Son. While God was silent, He was doing His deepest work. And that's the case in our lives. Remember beach camp. Remember what we talked about. Sometimes you can't hear the farmer while he's working in the field. Well, what's he working with? The plow. And he's going to make it beautiful. Sometimes you can't hear the surgeon while he's doing his deepest cutting. You see, that's where God is in the darkness. He is doing His deepest work. Showing His greatest measure of love for us. In the dark. In the silence. December of 2012 to July of 2014 was the darkest period of my life. But it was in that darkness that I became a Christian. It was in that darkness that I wrote this series. And and part of that darkness was working my first job. I hated my first job. Hated it. So I left that job and I had to move back in with my family who happened to be living in Rome at the time and happened to be attending a church called Pleasant Valley North Baptist. And they introduced me to their youth pastor named Bob Egan. And then Bob introduced me to his students. You see, it was through darkness that that I met you. And so, if through darkness God brought one of His kids to Himself and was glorified, 
well, then none of that really sounds like darkness at all. Psalm 139, 11-12 If I say, Lord, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, Lord, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Doesn't really sound like darkness at all. Where is God when it's dark? I don't know. But He knows. And that's more than enough. Let's pray.